HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome chef, restaurateur, and cookbook author, Yatum Adelengi. In this episode, we'll talk to Yatum about what exactly goes on in the Adelengi Test Kitchen, his latest cookbook, Shelf Love, and we'll hear Yatum's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. While Julia rose to singular stardom, she was at heart a collaborator. Mastering the art of French cooking wasn't her idea. Brought to Julia by Simone Back and Louisette Vertal, her co-authors. However, it's fair to say without Julia, it probably would have not become a best-selling phenomenon. Although Julia authored many subsequent books on her own, there was always a team behind her. You don't make hundreds of hours of television shows or write elaborate cookbooks alone. You need recipe testers, tasters, a photographer, someone to shop and run errands. The list goes on. Bottom line, it takes a village. A village that is wonderfully captured in the upcoming HBO Max scripted series about the birth of Julia's first cooking show, The French Chef. Someone who, like Julia, is very much a collaborator and willing to share the limelight with his village is celebrated chef, restaurateur, and award-winning cookbook author, Yatum Adelengi. If you spent any time in London, Adelengi's unique-sounding name is now as familiar as hummus in the grocery store. Stateside, he's best known for his innovative cookbooks, which began as a means to share with home cooks 
the Middle Eastern-inspired food available at his London restaurants. Born and raised in Israel, Yatam emigrated to the UK more than 20 years ago after earning a master's degree in philosophy from Tel Aviv University. He's the chef and owner of London's four Ottolenghi delis and Nopi and Rovi restaurants. His acclaimed cookbooks, many co-authored with his cadre of collaborators, have sold more than 7 million copies worldwide. Ottolenghi Simple won a National Book Award in the UK, and the New York Times named it a Best Book of the Year in 2018. Yatam writes a weekly column for The Guardian and contributes to the New York Times as well. Known for being vegetable-forward and using ingredients like preserved lemons, pomegranate molasses, and black limes, the Ottolenghi effect means once, quote, exotic ingredients are now more commonplace. Like Julia, you do not accomplish great things without a great team or even a research hub. Julia's was her Cambridge kitchen, and we've had many who staffed it on this show, like Chef Sarah Moulton in episode 87 or Dory Greenspan in episode 30. Yatum is supported by a team of co-creators and co-authors at his Adelangi Test Kitchen in North London. This includes co-author Tara Wigley, who we met in episode 120 with Adelangi's business partner, Chef Sammy Tamimi. It also includes his most recent co-author, Test Kitchen head, Norm Murad. Yatum joins us today to take us behind the scenes at the Ottolenghi Test Kitchen and to talk about the first in a new book series from the Ottolenghi Test Kitchen, Shelf Love, Recipes to Unlock the Secrets of Your Pantry, Fridge, and Freezer, which he's written with Noor. Welcome to the podcast, Yatum. Thank you, Todd. Thank you for this incredible introduction. Oh, my, my pleasure. Thank you for your incredible food and how you changed the whole landscape of, of, of what we eat at home and in restaurants. <laughs> Thank you. And I mean that very sincerely and uh, I feel very fortunate to have, have eaten many times at, at, at several of them. And I also said, I think I said this to Sammy and um, Tara, that for those who don't know, Nopi most, m- may have one of the most fabulous bathrooms or yes, restrooms right. in all of London. <laughs> spectacular. That's um, right. One of my favorite rooms. And the food is pretty good, too. So I, I, I think our focus today is is not sort of on everything, but particularly on the test kitchen and how that's, uh, you know, become a focal point for for your new book. But I wanted to kind of understand how it came into being, because not not every chef and restaurateur has a test kitchen per se. And I was curious, so when what, at what point in your career and in your journey to where you are now, d- did you create one? Um, yeah, so this actually, this test kitchen has been um, a, 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 operating for about 10 years now and really presented a, a, a shift in the way I, I operate. So my early books, um, Plenty and Jerusalem, um, I've done the recipe testing from home. So I would, you know, I would buy the ingredients and do the cooking, the write-ups, everything uh, from home. And even when there was a collaboration, like Jerusalem was uh, was written with Sami Tamimi, who you mentioned, um, it, I would do when I, my recipes. I would test at home, and I found that um, 
fine, but I also found it quite difficult because I'm a very social person and I love to be in a group and I love to be surrounded by people. And I find it really useful for recipe testing to have this feedback around you. So, you know, when you cooked something, you don't just, you know, try it yourself and draw conclusions. You actually have a, 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 a one or two or three people, the more the merrier to, uh, to really kind of feedback what they think, you know, and, and it's really, it makes a huge difference to, uh, to your ability to understand what's going on in a dish, how good it is, how much it does, what it is supposed to be doing. If you do talk, if you do include other people in this conversation. And so this is how the test kitchen came to be for the next book, uh, after Jerusalem, um, came plenty more. Uh, I've decided to start the test kitchen and then I've added people over the years to the test, to test recipes. And those have become my collaborators on, on books, um, from Tara Wigley, who you mentioned to, um, to Easter Belfridge, who, who collaborated with me on my last book, my previous book, uh, Flavor, Helen Go, uh, Scully, you know, a bunch of people that have been in the test kitchen working uh, as a team and the whole system of testing recipes have become a group effort rather than a singular effort and i think that the recipes really benefit from from being in that place because it's it's super inspirational people chat you know there's really great conversations problems are solved and this has become the way i feel comfortable uh, to work and I've worked closely and, and may not something I mentioned on the show, but you may not know. So the food writer Ann Willen, who's British but worked a lot in America, um, is my mother-in-law. And so I've worked with her. And certainly people often say, how did you write so many books? Because she's it's hard to count because she's written series too, but it's like in the realm of 50. And it's not because she did it alone. She had a very similar system. It wasn't as formally described, but she had a big house in France and they used to have a rotation of four stagiaires. And th that was how you did it. And a lot of these stagiaires have gone on to be quite prominent people in, the, in the, particularly the American food world. But from that example, is part of this that you've really enjoyed the cookbook writing process and it's a means to kind of carry that on and make it bigger? I think what it is is that... It, so, so in my case, there's also the restaurants. And so we've got the test kitchen, which produces recipes for publication for, for books and magazines and newspapers. And then there's the restaurants that obviously feed the public. And those, and what I've noticed in restaurants uh, is that, uh, and in my restaurants, I don't, I don't, um, um, I don't create the menu personally. I, you know, there's a head chef and he or she uh, would make something and I would taste it and we would have a conversation and they, they, those conversations would, would inform the menu. I think this, this system works really, really well for the test kitchen as well. Plus, I think for cookbooks, it's really, really useful to have a different uh, person heading the process uh, every time, or at least every you know, one changing once in a while, because you you do get a very very different perspective. So, um, 
I mentioned Ista, who's co 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 collaborated with me on fla on flavor, and she has Ista is an incredibly gifted cook, and she's but apart from being just generally gifted, she has a very different background to mine. So she has spent a lot of time in her childhood in Mexico and her where her grandfather lived. Um, she has spent time in Italy, uh, where she, her family lived for a while, and those two, and her mother is Brazilian. Uh, so those uh, three cultures have really informed the way she cooks and really feature heavily in the book. This is not a, could, could have come from me because I haven't had those experiences. Uh, so I let, you know, Easter go with those experiences and, and really f color the book in those particular colors. And hence, the, although it's an Ottolenghi book with a lot of, you know, features that people would, would recognize, uh, you know, contrasting colors, the, you know, these kind of um, mix mashups of cultures, the very, the very colorful dishes, etc. Uh, it also has Easter's flavors in abundance. And in this book, OTK Shelf Love, uh, Noor Murad, who runs the test kitchen, really brings her culture. So she grew up in Bahrain, which is a country in the Gulf, and her dad is Bahraini and her mom is English. So she grew up in between those two cultures and um, she brings tons of those perspectives into this particular book. So you mentioned black limes. There's an extensive use of black limes. Uh, I've used black limes, you know, those are dried lemons or limes, which are very, very common around the, the Persian Gulf. Uh, but uh, Noor really mastered the use of those because she's grown up with them and she does an incredible job. Uh, there is a recipe in the book for uh, feta with, uh, that is crusted with sesame seed and then served in a black lime and lem lemon and honey uh, glaze. And it's just so wonderful. It's, it's salty and it's nutty and it's sweet and it's sharp. And the black lime really makes that particular dish. So um, this book really has tons of Noor in it and, and her heritage. And I think that's what makes it, that's one of the reasons why it's so special. So this really works for me, but it really works for the books and it makes them unique. And you you mentioned the 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 restaurants and how things end up on the menu in the restaurants. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask you, and maybe you can clarify, is there interplay between what happens in the test kitchen and the restaurants? Or they really the test kitchens are more focused on the publications and, and the restaurants are driven, restaurant menus and dishes are driven by the head chefs there? So generally speaking, uh, it, this um, this separation does exist. So we are really focused on home cooks and the restaurants are focused on restaurant dishes that are served at, at the restaurants. And there isn't much of an overlap. These are uh, cooking for, for in a restaurant and cooking at home are two really very different activities. But also simply because those other, there's other people doing different, the other things, there's, there's, there's also this just a very practical reason why these things are being done separately. But there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, exchange happening between the test kitchen and the restaurant. So occasionally I would send um, the chef in one of the restaurants when they're thinking of the next seasonal menu, um, a bunch of recipes that have, come, have recently come out of the test kitchen and say, oh, see what you can do with that. And more often than not, these are um, featured later on in the menus, but with a lot of uh, changes. So, you know, you would have like, oh, we did this 
um, fish curry a few years ago uh, for the for in the test kitchen. Then that one particular element, the kind of that butter curry that we we created, has featured in a much more complex dish of a whole fish with flatbreads and the curry and grated coconut and a little um, as, as salsa of, of herbs uh, in the restaurant. So there are exchanges and they do happen, but the transformation from the test kitchen to the restaurant or from the restaurant to the test kitchen is quite dramatic. So you would not necessarily recognize a dish uh, that started in one place when it features um, in the other. So it's kind of like there's an interplay, but then also an independence. That's right. That's right. And then, and I always emphasize to people who who are interested in this in the in, in my world that um, you know you if you if you arrive in the world of professional cooking, you have a certain set of expectations that are normally based on what it's cook it's like to cook at home, you know, for yourself, for your family, for a dinner party, and then restaurants operate so very differently, and and as a result, restaurant dishes are so 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 completely different than those served at home. And it sounds like you embraced a, a topic that we've come back to many times that is a kind of involving mantra, actually from chefs, restaurant chefs who are writing books, that the food they cook at home and the food that everyone should cook at home shouldn't be the same as restaurants. And having some aspiration to put out molecular gastronomy in your home kitchen is... You, sort of, if you will, forgive the phrase or pun, a recipe for disaster. It sounds like you kind of advocate that separation too, because it's so hard to 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 do restaurant food at home. I think for certain people, those challenges are great, and especially now over the last couple of years during the pandemic, we have seen people really um, push pushing uh, the pushing themselves, pushing, pushing the boundaries and trying really complex things at home. But generally speaking, I think home cooking does one thing and restaurant cooking does another. Um, and I am personally, you know, and I, and and most people that I know when, when I come home, I want to deal with a comforting, with a familiar, with the sustaining. And I think those are the dishes that have a, a home, they kind of nestle, you know, comfortably in, in, a, in a home kitchen and not so much in a restaurant. This is a gross generalization. Of course, many restaurants serve home food. Uh, many homes are, you know, very, you know, very experimental if there's someone there who's pushing that agenda. But as a, gen- as a general point, I think, I, I feel that people at home really enjoy uh, cooking with a familiar, with things that have been made before, that have a name, that have a history, um, within a household or 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 the extended family, and those are the dishes that people um, really enjoy in the home setting. We talked about the sort of interplay between the test kitchen and the restaurant and the independence, but I'm guessing one of the big linkages is you and your being the 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 mastermind, if you will, behind the Autolenghi universe. It how so? How frequently do you join the team in the test kitchen? I, I really have to raise my hand and admit that it happens less and less with the years. Um, the reason why the, the reason why is like I'm, I spend time on my you know speaking to people like you, so I've become, <laughs> <laughs> I've become much more of a kind of a, an ambassador and a conductor than someone who actually um, spends real time in the kitchen. Having said said that, I spend a lot of time 
in conversation, conceptualizing, having tasting food, commenting, etc. And I and I'm happy with that. I mean, I've also you know there's this is why I think really talented people are very happy to put their um, invest their talents in in the test kitchen or in the restaurants because they have a fee they they get from me uh, a, a complete carte blanche to create and uh, and and uh, present recipes that are fully owned by them although as I said they always come out of conversation so Noor who is the head of the test kitchen and really is I can't tell you enough how talented she is. Um, is the one who's much more hands-on than myself. But I occasionally, I come in, I say, okay, let's try this. And I send ideas over and, the, and then we taste them. So I'm involved, but a bit more uh, at an arm's length now. Now, I, as I was mentioning about Anne Willen and, and La Varenne, and it, Anne has a very specific recipe testing um, methodology. And, and maybe it's not the actual testing that's specific, it's the evaluation and there's a specific form and you look at things. Do, does the Autolenghi test kitchen have a similar, like everybody fills out a, a sheet or the valuation or is it more informal and, and, and by feel and conversation? Yeah, the latter. So we, we don't have, we don't fill in any form, but we express our views very clearly in conversation. And I, I you know, I, I live and breathe these conversations. I, I find them so inspiring, you know, when a group of us, two, three, four people um, grab forks and taste from a bowl and each one would say, oh, you know, I'm just missing that little bit of depth umami depth and let's kind of see if, well, what we could do about that maybe uh, you know a spoonful of soy sauce or maybe we should make an anchovy butter at the beginning and spoon that on top or etc so you know that could be a wonderful thing that just is just added through a conversation um, but we are very rigorous until we're really totally happy uh, the, the dish would never leave the test kitchen and, and sometimes you could test something, some something you know a dozen times if it's really challenging until you really get it right, and then there is another station. Once the dish is, de is done and we were we're happy with it, um, there is another um, authority, which is a, it's a it's a woman called Claudine, uh, and she lives. Um, uh, and she tests the recipes at home. She lives in Wales. She has a husband and three kids, and she tries the recipes on her family. And uh, she sends us a, a, a quite a detailed report about what 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 was it like to test the dish at home, uh, from how complicated it was for her to get the ingredients, who liked it, who maybe didn't respond so well to it, etc. So we make sure there's this one extra step uh, in which the dish is evaluated somewhere, which is, I would say it's more neutral. Uh, and, and only once we've had uh, Claudine's approval, uh, then the, 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 the new recipe finally leaves the test kitchen and finds its new home. Well, that's a great transition to talking more specifically about the new cookbook, which we're gonna do after this break. We'll be right back with more from Yutem Adelenghi to talk about the Adelenghi Test Kitchen's new cookbook. Stay with us. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food52 
and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're talking to acclaimed chef and best-selling cookbook author, Yatam Adelangi, about the first book in a new series from the Adelangi Test Kitchen, Shelf Love, Recipes to Unlock the Secrets of Your Pantry, Fridge, and Freezer, co-written with Nora Murad, the head of the Test Kitchen. So, Yatam, what's the story behind... You, we've talked about the test kitchen, but what's the story behind the idea that there should be a book series specifically under this test kitchen umbrella? So about two or three years ago, we started having these conversations in the test kitchen about uh, creating a series of book uh, which will tackle uh, specific questions, you know. Uh, and so a bit more focused. So you know, a, a, a traditional Ottolenghi cookbook, if you could, if you could say, use this word, uh, is quite wide ranging. You know, it would have a whole load of things, and it wouldn't have a, um, a a very very particular angle. You know, it might be vegetables or it might be sweets, but it's a very kind of wide open ended recipe book with lots of individual stories, etc. But it's quite it's quite broad. And we wanted to make a series of books that are slightly more focused on particular uh, skills and solutions. And um, which, because, because we feel that in, in our test kitchen, we have a ton of um, experience and knowledge and that, that, that and recipes that are really, uh, you know, waiting to be shared with the rest of the world, but, I, but aren't maybe perfect for one of the big books. So we wanted to create these, these other books and we couldn't quite hone in on something that on an angle. And then this was, so we started this conversation in 2019 and then um, all of a sudden we're in lockdown, you know, there is a pandemic and we had to shut the test kitchen and all of us had to go and cook um, at home uh, for ourselves or our families, you know, where each one a, different, a slightly different scenario. And all of a sudden, there it was. There, there, the solution was there in front of us. You know, we were all, you know, raiding our larders and our pantries, trying to f- to find ingredients to substitute the pasta we couldn't get in the on the on the supermarket shelf. Or, um, you know, the, you know, we, you 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 probably remember the whole world remember how difficult it was to go out shopping. Uh, so well, the flour in in London, flour right disappeared from the shelves for flour and yeast, like you say, and so many other ingredients. So, hence shelf love. You know, you've got your kitchen shelf, and uh, let's try to explore what's on what's on it and what's in it to um, to create incredible meals and and really feast like meals, not like something you know, like when you think of dried chickpeas and lentils. 
and you know a bag of frozen peas you think frugal you think very kind of basic mundane possibly we wanted to bring out all the all the richness and all the glory and all the beauty that lies in those very um those very humble ingredients uh but also uh show that you if you don't have to be very precise about it or prescriptive about it you can actually substitute you can use one thing for another these are not uh, sacred recipes these are recipes that can be uh, played with so that this is where this book came from the idea that we are celebrating ingredients uh, that are there anyway or are easy to find or easy to substitute so we create this kind of traditional notebook like book it's a substantial book don't get me wrong but uh, and it's got 80 plus recipes uh, that are you know glorious but uh, it's it, it embraces the the pantry it embraces uh, versatility you can take note there's little boxes on every page where you own notes like old school like our you know, grandparents used to have, uh, where you take notes, you, you wrote what you've done, you, you write suggestions for next time. It really is about frugality, uh, ingenuity, um, and celebration of, of simple, cheap, delicious ingredients. Well, that's pretty fascinating that it is very much, at least in its fine, in the form that has been published, a kind of, uh, pandemic reaction, at least in terms of what the first book in the series is. Have you now has your team mapped out what the second and third is, or it's a little bit of a let's roll this out and then see what comes <laughs> we, together? We do have the second, we don't have the third, but the second book would be so it's funny. So we thought, like, okay, we are we've kind of empty, we were emptying our shelves. We are, we are, um, you know, we have emptied the larder. We used the last bag, bag of polenta, the last jar of cannellini beans, you know, we've used up our freezers. Now what do we do? So the next, the next recipe book, which will be published next year is about filling up those spaces again, uh, with wonderful condiments. So the recipes in that, in that book, that in the book that's going to be published next year, uh, we'll have each recipe will have a little takeaway. So if you are uh, making a sauce, you'll use it for that recipe, but then you can double it and keep a jar in your fridge for the next time you cook uh, or marinate or sprinkle or, or a quick pickle. Those are elements in a dish uh, that c- can be kind of carried, th- carried through to the next time uh, you go to the kitchen and want to cook something else. So it's about filling up your, your pantry uh, Again, and the, the funny thing is, like, I don't know about you, but I found myself during lockdown making a lot of those, um, you know, pickles and preserves and marinades and chili oils, things that are really, really useful if you just want to boil a pot of rice and that's what you're going to have for supper. So, you know, a, a little, um, you know, fermented uh, onion with a, with a chili sauce is almost enough to turn that into a very a simple meal. So... Essentially, yeah, it will, it's also a, a reaction to the world we live in, to the pandemic, but uh, what came later after we've uh, we've used up what's in the pantry. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's been a great learning for people. In fact, I, we just had two fresh pomegranates, and usually you would never eat that much pomegranate at one sitting, and so I... I took all that time to take them apart and I took like two tablespoons and then I put the rest in the freezer. But that means, um, you know, that I think is a theme of this book that I have them for salads or, or not a lengthy recipe when I just need 
two tablespoons of them. Yes, or or probably if that the next book will tell you that you should take this pomegranate and cook those down into a, a pomegranate jam, jam or relish, and then you could use that next time you um, you cook uh, pork or if you fry tofu or you know those there, there's yeah, there's ways to use that pomegranate. And cook it down into a condiment that is will come up come out very useful and uh, next time you want you want a quick meal yes no and i think one of my favorite discoveries which i think i don't know if it directly comes from autolenghi but comes from the autolenghi effect is like using pomegranate molasses as a, that you can buy in the shop um as a kind of background note in salad dressings it doesn't totally change the flavor it just adds these i feel like it adds these kind of like levels that's right that's absolutely right so on that note are there some other you know well you've literally entire uh, entitled the book unlocking the secrets of your pantry and so i was going to ask you which is quite interesting because it relates to uh, and i'm not even sure your team was conscious of this like historic culinary books before they were even called cookbooks, were often kind of partly medicinal and used the word secrets a lot about share, which really meant about sharing knowledge. And so, what are some of the the, the secrets or what other secrets that our pantries hold for us? I'm glad you 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 um, you created this analogy because I really do think that we are in this at this point in history really. Um, relearning uh, to d- decipher or, or, or figure out s- uh, secrets that are available through our pantries. And, 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 our, and when, we, when I use the word pantry, I don't mean li- literally the pantry because there's, <laughs> other pla- there's other places in the kitchen where you can store food. It's the freezer or the fridge or the veg, veg box. But those are what I mean by that is the staples, you know, the things that are there, you reach out and, and get them and you don't go on a journey to go and and buy them so um, yeah i mean tons of tons of things you know i can start off by talking about um rice so you know there is a um you know we all know how how we love to cook rice and um but during lockdown i've, I've cooked so much rice and i had so much uh, left left over rice i've uh, i've created tons of rice cakes the next day where i um, I, com- I, I combine the rice with a bit of yogurt um, and some eggs, egg if you want to, and tons of herbs or chopped, finely chopped veg, and just create this kind of quick uh, fritters or latkes that you that you f- that you fry. Uh, really, again, like rice as you know it is as loft left over, turning to some into something totally delicious um, the following day. Uh, you know, chickpeas. I think I can't. I can't tell you enough how much you can you can achieve with chickpeas, and uh, and you can use a jar or a tin. Uh, like there's an incredible recipe that I. This is the one um, I cook almost you know on a regular basis now, now which is a recipe for a con- confit tandoori chickpeas. Uh, takes calls for two tins of chickpeas, garlic, ginger. Um, chilies, tomato paste, a bit of cumin, turmeric. And that is very slowly cooked in olive oil for, you know, a good a good hour, hour and a half. And without doing anything, you've got all you've got a wonderful chickpea stew that then can 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 then be served with bread or rice or barley or whatever it is you wanna you wanna serve it serve it with. And and it's marvelous. And who would have thought that that 
how Vulcan can be the absolute focus of something so wonderful. But, you know, I guess every recipe in this book really tells that story. You know, we have a recipe for these, another fritter, which uses a bag of these frozen mixed vegetables. Like, I don't know about in America, but here you can get a bag of frozen mixed vegetables, like a cauliflower, carrot, and peas, you know, together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, as a snobbish, you know, cook, I, it would be probably the last thing I would get when I go to the supermarket. Why would I? I would go, I'd go and buy fresh broccoli. I'd go and buy fresh carrots. But during the pandemic, that was available. You know, we needed to put meal on the table, so we created fritters with a dipping sauce that are based on these kind of mixed vegetable bags that I'm sure a lot of people uh, that are not as foolish as I am would have in, in their freezers. So, yeah, there's, there's tons of those, and every one of them is a wonderful, tells a wonderful, um, you know, pantry or freezer or veg box secret. And so you just mentioned, so I think you said it's, it's confit of chickpeas. This is stew that you discover that you yeah, keep. The confit, we call it confit, confit tandoori chickpeas. So essentially it's chickpeas that are slowly cooked in olive oil uh, with a bunch of, with a bunch of ar aromatics uh, for like an hour and a quarter. And then, um, yeah, then they're served with um, yogurt or or you, you don't have to serve them with yogurt, but uh, they're nice with yogurt and, and rice, let's say, or, or flatbread. And I think I found, I think a lot of the recipes are maybe more streamlined and more everyday than than in some of your books, you know, famously known for a very long list of ingredients. That's right. Are there some dishes too? I felt like there were a couple that at least the photography really looked like showstoppers. There were a couple that you would, could you describe that that you found came out of this pantry freezer exploration, but actually in the end, uh, the test kitchen team kind of created a dish that you could use as a centerpiece for entertaining. Yeah. So we did want those as well. So the, the, the dish that I love the most for this particular purpose is the celebration rice that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's uh, a, a rice that is cooked with uh, chicken stock. So, you know, you, um, you boil a chicken and use the stock to... Uh, it's, a, it's a spice stock with garlic and cumin and cinnamon. It's like beautifully sweet and savory. Uh, you, you use that to cook your rice. And then uh, that rice is laid out on a platter and served with um, the chicken shredded, uh, some, um, some fried minced lamb uh, with pine nuts. Um, and then that's finished off with pomegranate seeds and coriander or cilantro and um, and a yogurt sauce so it's a kind of one of these beautiful platters and where the rice is like a, a is like a carpet and that's bejeweled with as i said uh chicken nuts lamb pomegranate seeds it's absolutely beautiful to look at and it's such a marvelous thing to bring to the table um if you're hosting a a, a feast and the other thing that I think is exciting out of the test kitchen, which I was uh, quite delighted to see, is is a new digital series. Where you tell me what you guys are calling it, but can you tell us more about that? Oh yes, we started a series on YouTube again to tell the same story as the one we're we're, we're trying to tell through the book, which is all about um, how our approach to ingredients and the way we we cook and the solutions and the ideas that come out of the way we cook in the test kitchen. 
so um, it's called the OTK, Autolinke Test Kitchen, and we call it uh, What's for Dinner. Uh, and each one has a dish and maybe a side dish that could, that could be the center of a, of a, I would say, modest supper. And it's full of tips and, you know, it's a very leisurely conversation between two members of the test kitchen. Um, Nora and I have been in it, but also other members of the test kitchen. And it's really kind of a fun way to tell a story of a dish through a video and a conversation. And it's been real fun. And again, it's the, it's the same old thing. Like we are doing so, we're recipe, trying so many recipes. We're constantly immersed in food and we've just... We're sharing those through the through videos now as well as written recipes. And is there an aspiration for it, or do you see it as kind of companion content to go along and bring the books to, in the Autolenghi Test Kitchen series to life? I think for me, it's really important that it's a, it's a great way to feature um, all the members of the Test Kitchen because they, as I said to you um, earlier, each one of them comes up comes with a different story and a different angle and a different way of cooking, and featuring them tells a, a, the bigger story. Uh, so it is it, it's a kind of an independent thing. It's and I think we will carry on doing it alongside the books and the other publications. Uh, but you know, it's 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 something that we would like to carry on doing uh, going into the future. Well, I love that connection, which feels very Julia. That that you know, while food and talking about food and dissecting dishes and testing them is important, and 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 taste and and where food comes from is important. But ultimately, it comes down to the people involved in that whole whole process. And and without them, it's not not particularly meaningful. And their stories, you know, I think for me. Um, the recipes are great, but out of context, they feel a bit hollow. And so it's very, I, I love the, t- taking the possibility, the opportunity to, to tell the story of a dish, you know, how it came about, uh, what's actually happening uh, when you cook it or when, or, or, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just a more all round, um, uh, it gives a much better picture of what it is that we do and what it is that we eat. And I, and I think like food, the context of food, you know, the stories uh, that are um, that are happening around food are just so fun that uh, I wouldn't miss an opportunity to tell that story. Well, we're going to ask you to tell one last story with your Julia moment, which we'll come to after the break. Stay with us for your Tom's Julia moment and get in touch. Send us an email or voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at JuliaChildJCF and let us know what you think about today's show. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. No, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's where I ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she might have inspired them in their career. All right, Yotam, what's your Julia Moment? So I actually have a very good answer to this question because um, when uh, so I started cooking you know, professionally quite late in my life, in my late 20s, and I spent... Um, 
And before I committed to this world of professional cooking, I wanted to learn more. And I, at the time, and I'm talking about the mid 1990s, so quite a long time ago, I was living in Amsterdam in Holland. And I had quite a lot of free time because I finished my university studies. And I decided that I want to see what it's like to cook really traditional French food. Um, I was, you know, I knew how to cook. I cooked, uh, but I never cooked properly. You know, I never learned the names of the cuts of vegetables or how to make a proper stock. I did it in the kind of traditions of the Middle East, uh, Israel, uh, the Palestinian cooking, Israeli cooking, the things that I've seen as I was growing up and my parents cooked at home. So I um, ordered uh, the, uh, the two or three volumes of the art of French cooking from um, a bookshop in London called Books for Cooks and a book a, a shop in Notting Hill on just off Portobello Road and I got it in the post uh, in Amsterdam and I embarked on my uh, mastering of the art of French cooking through Julia's books and it was very funny because I had no idea what I was getting myself into I didn't really realize they were so detailed and so precise and so I don't think I managed more than, you know, a few recipes, but I did learn how to make uh, a few stocks, a few basic sauces. Um, and I and then I thought, like, I just can't do it myself. As, as you've, you've already re figured there is a theme there. I don't like doing things on my own. So this was when I um, enlisted in the Cordon Bleu Cookery School in London and came um, to learn uh, French cooking um, you know, from teachers rather than myself in a room with a book. But I still have those books and I cherish them and I love them and just, they feel very special because they were literally my first steps into the world of professional cooking. Well, that's a lovely story. And I have to say from my chair of the foundation, I never cease to be amazed. Every podcast we think, oh, well, there might not be a linkage between Julia and this guest. And they're almost always is. And so that, that, that's just extraordinary to hear that, that those books, e even if you didn't, you know, uh, do a blog of cooking every single recipe, they did spur you on to, to where you've gotten to now. Definitely. They really, really did. Well, it's been a great pleasure, uh, talking with you and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Todd. It's been a, a real pleasure. And thanks everyone for listening. It's at Autolenghi UK on Facebook and at Autolenghi on Twitter and Instagram for the latest. The cookbook is Autolenghi Test Kitchen, Shelf Love, Recipes to Unlock, The Secrets of Your Pantry, Fridge, and Freezer by Norm Murad and Yota Autolenghi, with photographs by Elena Heatherwick. It's out November 2nd from Clarkson Potter. Ask or search for it at your favorite bookseller. Make sure to follow the Foundation for news on how to watch the presentation of this year's Julia Child Award on November 4th. It's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF, and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer at the Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our usual sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Matt Patterson. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. 
We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.